Okay, tonight we're going to talk from the Christian Survival Kit. And um, hopefully you remember some of that. It's been stretched out over a long period of time. But this was Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And he was giving them last-minute instructions. And so just by virtue of the fact that it was the last instructions he gave his disciples, it had to be critical. It had to be very important. And I personally believe that they were entering into this worst time in their entire life. Jesus was going to be crucified. It looked like they were losing everything. I believe that that's the reason I've entitled this teaching the Christian Survival Kit. It's like him summarizing all of the great truths that he had imparted to them over three years, he was just going back through and summarizing these things and putting everything in uh, place. And I believe there was also an order to what he said. The very first thing he talked about was don't panic, believe. Then he talked about putting things into perspective. He talked about heaven. He talked about the word and just on and on. talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and we've already dealt with a lot of those things. So let's turn over to John chapter... 15, the last thing that we talked about was he said that it's, uh, it glorifies the Father when we bear much fruit. And we talked about that and I shared that this is one way that really you can discern the leadership of God in your life. God is a God of increase. God's a God of multiplication. God is not going to lead you in a way that is going to decrease uh, you. And I'm, that needs a little wisdom. We talked about that last time. But as a general rule... God wants you to prosper. <clears throat> and so that's, that's one of the ways that you discern the will of the Lord. And so that was out of John chapter 15. And um, I think we quit in verse 16. So let's start in John 15, 17. He said, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled which was written in the law. They hated me without a cause." But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Boy, there's a lot in those verses, but basically all of this is talking about persecution. And again, if you are talking about how to overcome in a difficult, trying situation, uh, most of our problems, not all of them, but most of them are going to involve people in some kind of a conflict and things like that. Satan uh, isn't able to just come at you directly. He has to use people to accomplish things. And it seems like there's always a, more than enough people to oblige. Amen. There's always somebody willing to volunteer for the devil. And uh, so there is going to be persecution. A script, there's many scriptures go along with this, but one of the favorite that I use all of the time is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. And the apostle Paul says, Yea, all those who will live godly 
in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you aren't suffering persecution, it's an indication of how ungodly you're living. That's quite a statement. If nobody disagrees with you, if nobody gets rubbed the wrong way by you, you aren't living a godly life. That's quite a statement. But it's absolutely true. I say things like, you know, it's, it's, if you never run into the devil, it's because you're both headed in the same direction. If you turn around and start going against the flow, swimming upstream, it takes more effort. There is more resistance, more opposition going against the flow than there is going with it. If everything in your life, you're just coasting along and nothing ever goes wrong and everything's fine, then I can guarantee you, you aren't doing anything for the kingdom of God. You don't believe for persecution. Persecution isn't from God. Some people will teach that. Some people will actually teach that God wants to bring trials and adversity in your life and makes you a better person through it. I don't believe that at all. So uh, you don't pray for persecution. Persecution isn't always a good thing, but persecution, in a sense, is a compliment because it means that you're a threat to the devil, that he is marshalling some of his forces against you because he sees you as a potential threat and he uses persecution to come against you. And so... um, Persecution isn't ordained by God, but it's inevitable just because you're going to have opposition if you're doing anything for the kingdom of God. So that's what he begins to talk about right here. Let's go back and look at some of these verses. In verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You know, if you really look at persecution in the right way, it really is a tremendous compliment. Let me uh, look at this passage over here in Acts chapter 4, I believe it is. Or excuse me, it's Acts chapter 5, verse 41. This is after the disciples had been preaching. They were arrested by the chief priest and the scribes. And they were brought before the council and they were beaten and commanded not to preach anymore in the name of the Lord. And then they let them go. And in Acts 5, 41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Well, that's an awesome attitude. That's great. You know, if you understand persecution properly, then when people come out against you and persecute you, and, it, and you've got to be able to distinguish that you aren't being persecuted because of you. It can't be just because you are offensive. There are some people that have taken truths like this and that they just go out and they offend people in themselves. They're offensive. They're critical and just causing problems. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you are persecuted because you love someone, because you're telling them the truth, and because you're taking a stand for righteousness, then you know what? There is a comfort and a communion with God that comes through that. The Apostle Paul talked about this in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where, I mean, you really got hammered for your faith in the Lord. You know, it could be by relatives. It could be uh, by you were in a church or something and all of a sudden you got hold of the truth and started sharing the truth and people persecute you. There can be lots of different ways of persecution. But did you know that uh, the scripture says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 that the Holy Spirit comforts us in all of our tribulations so that we can comfort others with the same Uh, comfort wherewith we receive. And so when you're in need, when you've been persecuted, the Holy Spirit is always there to comfort you 
And actually, you can get to where, in a sense, you enjoy persecution because you know God's going to comfort you. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. But it is really, it's really gratifying when somebody has done something to you. The Holy Spirit just supernaturally comforts you. And uh, this is what Paul was talking about, that he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And uh, there is a supernatural supply by God when people are on your case. Uh, man, I could give you uh, lots of examples of that, but there's, it's just awesome. And um, anyway, God wants to minister to you and comfort you, but you need to recognize that people hated Jesus. If they hated Jesus, then if you are a true representative of Jesus, then they're going to hate you. Not everybody but certain people are. And really, here's what it <coughs> amounts to. If you are ministering the Word correctly, whether you're teaching in a capacity like I am as a minister in a church or on television or something, or you're speaking the truth, or if you're in a church, or it doesn't matter if it's just your lifestyle is convicting people, family or something like that. Uh, one of two things is going to happen. If you are ministering effectively... The Holy Spirit is going to use your life or and or testimony to try and pressure a person to change. And if the person is receptive to God, then they'll love you. As they change, they'll embrace you. They'll look at you as a mentor. And they'll receive you and it'll be a positive thing. But if the person is rejecting God, well then they've got to reject you. Most people aren't spiritual enough to be able to distinguish between the conviction they're feeling come through you and uh, distinguish between the power that's behind you and you. They just are carnal. They're looking at it as this is you that's making them feel this way. It's you that's making them feel like homosexuality is wrong. You're the one that's condemning them. They can't tell that it's not the Holy Spirit. And so what they'll do is come, <coughs> come out and attack you. It's a sim similar thing that happens like in a court of law. If you are, you know, if you have somebody on the stand. I never watched this O.J. Simpson trial, but of course you heard a lot about it when it was on. And I think that they had this guy that was a friend of Simpson. I forgot what his name was. But was he the one driving the Bronco? I was over in England when all that happened. And we just saw this Bronco hour after hour on TV. But the guy that was driving the Bronco or something, he became a character witness, and you know what they did to discredit him? Basically, he had some testimony that would have been very damaging. I don't even remember what it was all about. But the, but the opposite counsel got up and just started showing his background and discredited him and condemned him and showed that he had a felony record and he had done this and he had done this. And basically what you do... Uh, the testimony was potentially damaging to the other side, so you just discredit the witness. And if you discredit the witness, if you show that they've perjured themselves, well, then what, you know, what makes their testimony now correct? If they've perjured themselves in the past, if they've got a record or whatever, you just discredit the witness and basically you discount their testimony. Well, in a sense, that's what persecution is. If you have truly lived properly or spoken properly, then these people are feeling conviction. And if they aren't ready to repent yet, well, then what do they do? They've got to resist it. And how, the easiest way to resist it is to just condemn the messenger. And if you can show that the messenger is no good, well, then you discredit the message and you take away that conviction. And so it's really a defense mechanism is what it is. It's people trying 
to get out from under this conviction and stuff, and they're just trying to tear you down, and so they will go after you. Like say, for instance, you know, if I was to venture into the political realm, and if I was to start criticizing a politician because of my stand on the Word of God and speaking the Word of God, and if God was using me, the way that a, a carnal, traditional politician would respond to that is they'd hire somebody to dig up some dirt they would find something on me and they would come out against me and trying to expose me and do all of these things and thereby discredit my witness. I'd still vote for you. Uh, well, thanks. That'd be one vote. <laughs> I wouldn't lower myself to go run for office, man. What I'm doing is much more important. But anyway, this is, this is the logic behind it. See, that's what persecution is all about. It's like if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest got hit. Pretty good bet. And you know what? If you are preaching the word and all of a sudden somebody comes out against you, bingo, man. <laughs> you can tell that the conviction of the Holy Ghost has come out against them. Recently on my series on prayer, I was teaching on not using vain repetition. And I got to criticizing the Protestants for just saying our Father which art in heaven and reciting this Lord's Prayer as a mantra and just going over and over and there's no belief system. They don't know what it's talking about. That qualifies as vain repetition. I got to talking about the Catholics using rosary beads and going through Hail Mary and Our Fathers and all of this. Man, we we had the people coming out of the woodwork contacting us and saying, you're the reason people are leaving the Catholic Church. And I thought, amen, amen. That's awesome. But you know what? They didn't have to say much because you could tell why they were saying this is because it went against what they believed and they didn't want to change. They wanted to leave everything the way that it is. And so it just helps to understand that when you're being persecuted, it's really not about you. And you know, when I actually got started in ministry... It seems like that the persecution was worse than it is now. I'm not sure that it is. Part of it is I've hired people now to take my criticism. And so I don't have to listen to all of it. And so I'm not as exposed to it. But I'm also more separate from people. And when you, when I was first getting started, like when I was teaching a Bible study, people were quick to voice their opposition because I didn't have any authority behind me. You know, who are you? What right do you have to say anything like this? Now that I've been in ministry for a long time, there's some people that will respect that. Some people will see the fruit of what's happening. Some people, if you're on television or something, they just automatically give you an extra degree of credibility. And so there's some people that disagree with me. They just aren't going to be vocal about it. I honestly believe I don't have as much persecution right now as I used to. But when I first got started in, in ministry, it seems like people were very vocal and they'd come out and criticize me. And one of the things that helped me to adjust to this was to recognize, just like he's saying here, he says, you know, recognize that it's not you that they're hating. What they're hating is this conviction, something that is telling them that their lifestyle is wrong. This is what's behind all of the homosexuality stuff with them coming out with gay pride and being so vocal and open. You know, just think about it. There really isn't. There really wasn't any overt hatred and stuff. Well, I can't say any because there's carnality on both sides, even Christians. But homosexuals were just fine. You know, if you want to be a homosexual, just be a homosexual. But why are they coming out open and having parades and trying to force agenda through and do all of this? It's in an effort 
to soothe their conscience. They feel conviction in the religious system has always said that homosexuality is wrong. And they were dealing with this sense of guilt and condemnation. And it's their way to fight against that guilt and condemnation. They're trying to gain approval. They're wanting acceptance. They're wanting validation that this is an alternate lifestyle and that there's nothing wrong with it. They're wanting to take the stigma away from it. It's all guilt-driven is what drives it. And that's what's behind it. And so if you come out and start speaking against homosexuality and if they come out and get mad at you, it's just because you've pricked their conscience. The Holy Spirit is using what you're saying and the people are going to persecute you. And so it helps if you understand that. To me, it makes a big difference. I don't take things personally. Matter of fact, I've actually gotten to a place to where I can see people persecuting me and it makes me immediately uh, recognize, whoops, I hit a nerve. That means this person's got some, some issues in this area and it gives me some insight in, in what it is that they need and things like that. And I've learned where I can look at it objectively and I don't take it personally. Anybody getting what I'm saying through this? Yes. <clears throat> you know it well. I'm sure I've used this illustration with you, but when I first got started in the ministry and stuff, I was in a Baptist church and I was teaching faith and things like this. And boy, I was just being constantly criticized. And I went to Joe Nay's meeting, the guy that got me started, and he called me out. And this prophecy changed my life. It was really powerful. And he called me out in front of all these people. He didn't know what was going on. And he said, I see you like a runner on the track. He said, you're leading the pack. You're winning the race. Everything's good. But the people in the stands are yelling at you and telling you that you're doing it all wrong. And he said, I see you getting off of the track and running up into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. And he says, I want you to know that even if you win the argument, you're going to lose the race. Stay on track. Stay on track. He says, don't argue with the spectators. And that is the design of persecution. It says in Mark chapter 4 verse 18 that afflictions and persecution come for the word's sake to steal away the word that's sown in your heart. Say for instance, if you're talking about how that God loves you and God wants you well and God wants you to prosper financially and God is a good God and God is, is not against you but He's for you, you're going to have some religious people come out and start criticizing you and saying, you're of the devil, you're encouraging sin. And you're telling people it doesn't matter if you make a mistake and things like this. And you will have people criticize you. And what, what that's all about, you may sit there and say, but you know, they've, they've misunderstood me. And you are so concerned about trying to make sure that everybody understands what you're really saying that if you aren't careful, you'll spend all of your time explaining yourself, trying to win everybody over, trying to get everybody to love you, and you spend more time vindicating yourself than you do preaching the gospel. And even if you win some people over and get them to where they like you, you know what? Satan won because you aren't preaching the truth anymore. Billy Graham said this, and uh, I didn't learn this until maybe five years ago is when I heard Billy Graham say this, but uh, somebody was interviewing him and talking about was there a turn in your ministry, a turning point when you begin to start really seeing things. And he was talking about the meetings that he held in California in 19, I think it was either... 49 or 50, I forget the year, but that's when uh, Hearst, the editor of the uh, uh, Los Angeles Times, said, Pump Graham, and they put him on the front page, went around the world, and that's when Billy Graham really took off. And he said that during those meetings, 
he was preaching the gospel and people were misunderstanding what he was saying. And he got a lot of criticism from churches. I don't know if you ever have seen this or been to Billy Graham's meetings, but at Billy Graham's meetings, he'll always have Christians picketing his meetings. He always, always does. He has people that think that he's an, uh, an occult and, and Christians come out against Billy Graham and stuff. And he spent a lot of time trying to win people over. And during those meetings in Los Angeles, he said that the Lord spoke to him and he says, you make a poor Holy Spirit. He says, you're trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit. He says, I called you to preach. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. And he says, you can't convict or convince anybody. He says, quit trying to explain the gospel away and just proclaim it and let me do the job. And he said that he quit trying to explain everything. He would just make statements. And if people mistook it, let them mistake it. And you know, Jesus did that. Oh, there's lots of people. They believe that his salvation is too easy. They believe that you can't know for sure that you're saved. There's not an individual one-time experience that you just live the best you can. And at the end of your life, if you've been more good than bad, you go to heaven. And there's lots of people that disagree with Billy Graham. There's, there's entire denominations that reject him. Huh? Yeah, if you're talking about the oneness doctrine, some of the Pentecostals believe you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Some believe you have to be water baptized. Church of Christ really disliked Billy Graham for that reason. And so there's, there's always been a lot of people. And Billy Graham was misunderstood, and he used to try and explain himself. And he said it was a breakthrough in his ministry when he decided he was just going to proclaim the truth and, and let God deal with it. And, you know, I have to do that same thing. I'll be... If you aren't careful, I don't know how many of you have ever ministered in front of a group of people or not, but if you've ever ministered in front of a large group of people, there's going to be somebody there that doesn't like you and is very vocal. And they're, they're going to make it clear by, by uh, body language or sometimes they're even vocal with it. And you know what the tendency is? is to focus on the person who's rejecting and you minister to them. And you know, if you do that, Satan is one, even if you win that person over, because you didn't minister to the people who were receiving and wanting to receive. And you just can't do that. You can't let persecution derail you. You can't alter what you're doing because of persecution. You know, right now, there's people, like I said, coming out against me for a lot of the things that I'm saying. And if I was to get off track and to start saying, boy, y'all are misunderstanding. Some of you think that I'm against prayer. And so... If I go out and just start trying to explain myself, and if I got off of the subject and over here, and it was all about defending me, well then, Satan's actually won. Because I spend a tremendous amount of air time and effort trying to defend myself instead of proclaiming the gospel. So you've got to recognize that the, the real motive behind persecution, it's Satan trying to get you up into the grandstands, arguing with the spectators. And even if you win, you're going to lose the race. You need to get to a place to where you just do what God tells you to do. And if they accept it, you know, like Jesus, if you have ears to hear, hear. And his disciples came to him and said, Lord, don't you realize that the Pharisees were offended? And he said, sure, I know it. He says, if they weren't planted by God, they'll be plucked up. He says, leave them alone. They're the blind leaders of the blind. They'll both fall into the ditch. You know what? There's a lot of people today that wouldn't accept that kind of thing. Did you have a comment? It's, it's just uh, basically what you're saying. It's just a distraction. And I'm learning that if you don't say anything, you don't really give the enemy 
the ammunition he wants to um, bait you with and something to work with. But I find most Christians find it hard just to shut up. Hold your peace. Well, it's hard for most people not to defend themselves when they've been attacked. See, it's not personal. You're up here speaking to a hundred people or a thousand people or whatever you're doing and you're just proclaiming the word. But then somebody gets offended and they come against you and they make it personal. Like I had a deal over in um, Switzerland and I forgot what I was talking on right now. But anyway, a woman came up to me and her daughter had died of something a few years before. I forget the details. And... um, she came up to me afterwards, and she was a partner of mine, and she, on the outside, looked like she was a word person and stuff, and she said, I am really offended by you saying that, you know, that we can overcome and that it's always God's will to heal and things like this because my daughter died, and you're saying that it was my fault. And so I spent a little bit of time, this was after the service, and I said, I'm not meaning to condemn you. I said, you know, none of us understand everything. I gave a testimony about this girl that I saw die, and stuff, and I said a lot of it's because I, I believe the wrong things. I taught her the wrong things. I said, but I'm not condemned about it. And you just go on with your life. But I said, ultimately, it wasn't God's will that your little two-year-old girl die. I said, God didn't kill her. And she took great offense. Boy, she got mad at me. She nearly fought me. And she wanted to make it personal. And you know what? I didn't want to see this woman hurt. But here, here was a tendency. What do I do? Do I unplug and quit ministering the truth that was seeing hundreds of people set free so that I sit there and just deal with this one woman? I talked to her two or three times. She kept coming to all the meetings, and every time she came up, I talked to her and accommodated her. But, uh, boy, she was bitter. She said, it was God that killed my daughter. It was God's will that she died. And that was her defense mechanism. That's how she coped with it. She just couldn't conceive that she had any culpability at all in her daughter's death. She would rather just put it all off on God, and that's the way that she had coped. And I was taking away her defenses, and I didn't take it personal. I knew exactly what was going on in her. I knew that this is the way that she had adjusted. She had put it off, and God and his superior, she says, God must have known that something tragic was going to happen in her life. So to save her the grief, he killed her. She didn't say it that openly, but that's what she was saying. And I said, you know what? What could have happened to her that would have been much worse than killing her? (laughs) I said, I just don't believe God killed her because of this. And I started countering some things. And boy, she took it real personally. And you know, it bothered me. I hate to to aggravate people and see somebody mad and stuff like that. But do I quit preaching the truth? Do I back off? That's what that persecution is designed to do is to come against you. And, you know, persecution, it's subtle, is the most deadly form of persecution. If you're over in another country, like say, for instance, if you go into a Muslim country, it's against law to preach Christianity. If you go to Iran, if you go to some of these places, and if you preach Christianity, they can literally kill you for preaching the gospel. And uh, in that situation, persecution is so obvious that it's really easy to deal with. It is so out in the open and so obvious that I believe in some ways physical persecution where you're going to be punished, beaten, imprisoned, killed, that's easy to deal with. You know what's a lot more subtle and therefore more deadly is is a lot of the persecution that we experience right here. For instance, you just get excited about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or healing or something like that and you go back to your family and start telling them and all of a sudden they look at you like, boy, you're crazy. 
Where did you come from? This isn't what we've been taught all of our life. They aren't going to throw you in jail. They aren't going to hit you. But they just start talking about you behind your back. And that sense of rejection and stuff like that. You know what? That's, that's actually in some ways more damaging because it's so subtle. You take it personally and you don't realize that it's the exact same thing as if you were in a Muslim country and they don't want to convert from Islam to Christianity. And so they have this persecution against you. And yet Christians can come out and persecute you and things like that. I remember when I first got turned on to the Lord, I was in college. I was going to uh, what we call the Baptist Student Union. I was a Baptist at that time, and so I was in the Baptist Student Union in college. And man, when I got turned on to the Lord, I started living at the BSU, the Baptist Student Union. They had prayer rooms which most of the people, the boys and girls, would go into these prayer rooms and shut the door and make out what they were using it for. I was in there studying the Word and praying. Novel idea in these prayer rooms. And I started witnessing and talking about Jesus. And I remember the leader of the BSU, they had a, a blackboard up here like this, and I wrote, Jesus saves on it. I was so excited about Jesus. He went up and put an H in there, Jesus shaves. And he was the leader of the Baptist Student Union, he says, that's not the way you witness. You don't just get in people's face. You don't tell them straight out. And he says, you just let your life live. And he hated me. And so he led a charge against me. And they began to start criticizing us, following us around and doing things. And anyway, I was young in the Lord and I didn't understand these things. And so I was getting a little bothered by it. I was bothered by the fact that I had just fallen in love with Jesus. And I thought everybody ought to be as excited about Jesus as I am. And the Christians, did you know the people in the college weren't giving me a hard time, but the Christians hated me and mocked me. And when I'd walk into the Baptist Student Union, they'd go, oh, here comes Mr. Holier Than Thou. And they'd make fun of you and do things. And uh, anyway, I had a religion class at the Baptist Student Union building. And Dan Bowler was this guy. And he was teaching something along the lines of persecution. And anyway, all of the little groupies were on the very front row. They were all down there. They were just sucking up and, you know, uh, and wanting all of this approval. And they were down there. And he was preaching on persecution. And in the middle of it, he stops and he says, You know what persecution is? When somebody says you're a fanatic, do you know what that means? And they all started offering opinions. And he says, you know what it basically amounts to when somebody criticizes you? It just means that you're more in love with God than they are. And boy, everybody got quiet. And then he said, isn't that right, Andy? (laughs) And he just made a point. You know, he stood up and defended me. And boy, it shut those guys up. But it really did make a point that you know what it was? They were convicted by the fact that me and my friend Steve, we just were so passionate about God. They had been in a leadership position. They weren't as passionate about God. And when we came in, they either had to say, either we ought to be more like this, or we're going to have to attack them and show that they're wrong. It's one of those two. And that's basically what it is. People, if they're ready to respond, then they'll receive the Word of God. But if they aren't ready to respond, the carnal, easy thing to do is to attack the messenger. And that's what persecution is all about. If you understand that, in a way, it's a backhanded compliment. And that's the reason that Jesus said that when they persecute you for righteousness' sake, shout, leap for joy, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
Man, that's powerful. Yes, ma'am. That was for like for righteousness sake. But there's a difference between persecution and strife. If you're always in strife with people, I mean, shouldn't there be a sign that I have a strife problem and I'm not being persecuted? That's true. You you have to be able to establish whether it's you that's offending people or whether it's the gospel. And that's true. That's that's a good point. That there not all criticism against you can be looked at as persecution. Some of it is just well deserved because you are offensive, and you need to make sure it's not you that's offending people. And really, there's, you know, I say some harsh things. I say some really straightforward, blunt things to people, but most people accept it because they know that I'm saying it because I love them and I'm telling them the truth and I'm just trying to. Get the truth across. And so most people will accept things pretty well. Like Sunday, I taught on self-centeredness at a church in Alvin, Texas. And there was a thousand people stood up. And I said, I want you to stand up. If you're an adult brat, just pull your thumb. I mean, I, it was real strong. But, you know, I'd led up to it. And the people loved it. People came up. And I've had two or three emails I read this evening about people that got set free. And people don't mind you being blunt with them and saying things as long as they know that you're doing it because you love them. And so really, I think that it has to go back to your motivation. Why did you say this? Why did this strife arise? Is it because you were offended and you were uh, using your position to blast them? There are preachers that will do that. They'll get in the pulpit and they'll take a scripture, but what they're doing, they're, they're misusing the scripture. They're using the word like a club to beat people, to get back at somebody who split their church. So they'll preach on strife and use the word to sit there and criticize them. You know what? If your motive is to get even, if you had malice in your heart, which the word malice means intent to hurt, then you're wrong. But if you are telling a person the truth because you love them and you really believe that the truth will set them free, and if your desire is pure... You may not do it correctly, but then the response that comes, if you've done it motivated by love, I believe that you could look at that as persecution. And you know, you you grow in wisdom. I'm a lot smoother than I used to be. Some of you may not think so. You may think I'm still just pretty rough around the edges. Man, I am posh and really polished compared to what I used to be. You You wouldn't even recognize me from when I first started in ministry. And stuff, and so a lot of it was probably me, and just my—I uh, probably offended a lot of people that I didn't have to offend, but my heart was right. And not only do you have to evaluate those things when people come against you, but you know when somebody rubs you the wrong way, this is one of the things that I constantly do: is try not to just deal with people solely on the basis of what they say and what they do, but what's the intent of their heart. There are some people that are offensive and don't mean to be offensive. We had a Bible college student right here in the school. This is when we were over at the other place. And this guy rebuked me five or six times. I mean openly in front of the whole class. Just got on my case and rebuked me. And one of them, I was saying something about stocks, about the stock market. And I forgot my point that I was making. I was talking about how it's fear-driven or Something And anyway, I said something that, you know, the, the heart of what I was saying was correct, but I didn't say things totally properly. This guy had made millions of dollars in the stock market. And so in front of the whole class, he just rebuked me. That's not how it works. And he came up and criticized me. And this happened five or six times. Finally, in front of, the, uh, in one, in front of one of the classes, 
he walked up right as soon as the class was over and he says, Now, I don't mean to offend you, but... And I said, Well, you are offensive. And I said, You know what? Nobody in this school likes you. I said, You couldn't say that you have a single friend in this school. And he just looked at me and he says, Well, yeah, that's true. And I said, You know why? It's because you are an offensive person. And I just told him, I said, You know what? You need somebody to tell you the truth. That you are the... Gospel police. You go around correcting every little thing. You never listen to a thing I say. I may be, what I'm saying, you agree with 100%. But if I say one word wrong, you're going to nitpick over that thing. And I just let him have it. And I said, you know what? Unless you get over this, you're never going to have any friends. And when I went home that night, the Lord got on my case. I don't think that what I said was wrong, but the Lord says, you don't know where he's coming from. And the Lord gave me a dream and showed me that this guy was sexually abused terribly the way that he was brought up and the way that he coped with all of his hurt and all of his rejection. He became a super intellectual. He's one of the smartest men I've ever met. And so he just became an intellectual. He knows everything about everything and he really does know it. He honestly does. He's a genius. And so the way that he he's reaching out for acceptance is by going up and telling you that you didn't say this wrong and I know this. And he's trying to get people to admire him and love him and the Lord showed me that. So the next day at school, I called he and his wife together and I said, would you go out to eat with me? And I sat down and just told him what the Lord had showed me. And man, he started crying. He says, that's exactly what I've been through. It was a word from the Lord. And I told him, I said, you know what? You may be meaning... To, you're trying to get people to like you by you telling everybody everything that they do wrong and showing your superiority. You're trying to put yourself in an enviable position. But the way it's being perceived is all you are is critical. And I shared that with him. And man, he really appreciated it. And he changed and he, he made some good friends here at the school. His wife just died. And uh, anyway, I, I was just writing him a note today. And he's got some good friends that he made here at this school because he started learning how to do things. But see, if I would have just judged him only on what he did, he was a very, very offensive person. But when you saw why he was doing what he did, it was the wrong thing to do, but his heart was really right. I got to where I liked this guy, and I actually put him to work for me. He was a genius, so I'd have him research things every time I wanted to know stuff. And he still researches stuff, and we email, and I, I like this guy. And I can relate to him. And he really likes me because I'll tell him the truth. And if he gets obnoxious, I'll tell him he's obnoxious. He has zero people skills. And so, see, you've got to be able to go beyond just what a person is doing and analyze why are they doing what they're doing. There's some people that are really making a mess out of things, but they're trying to do it right. And when you see that a person's heart is right, but their actions is wrong, then you're more uh, lenient with them. On the other hand, I've had some people that were just great as far as working here in the ministry, but they had a bad heart. They had a bad attitude. And you know what? If their heart is wrong, but yet they're doing the right things, but you know they're doing it with the wrong attitude, I'll be very tough on that. I will not tolerate that because you cast out the scorner and the strife will cease. When a person has a bad heart, you know what? You, you just nearly look for an opportunity to say, give me a reason to fire you because you don't need that kind of an attitude around. So I really do deal with people more on, on how I perceive their heart. And um, anyway, uh, you need to not only do that when people are coming against you but, you, but when you're ministering, people need to give you that same grace. I'm not getting very far through all these scriptures. Let me go on down in verse uh, 20. It says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. 
If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You know what? If you are going into ministry thinking everybody's going to receive this, well then, you're expecting better response than Jesus got. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was crucified. If you are a true servant of the Lord, there will be opposition. People will criticize you. You know, I've got people that hate me. Now, I've got a lot of people that love me. And at school, we tend to have people that are receiving and getting their lives changed. And so we hear good testimonies and stuff like this. But I guarantee you, there's, I, I can truthfully say not all men speak well of me. <laughs> and, and if you can say that everybody speaks well of me, nobody's upset with me, then you aren't a good representation of Jesus. It is a fact of life that you're going to rub people the wrong way if you stand against sin and stand for godliness and stand for the truth. Not all people love truth. People who love the truth will love you, but people who hate the truth should hate you. That's a fact of life. You need to come to grips with it. Verse 21, it says, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And there's other scriptures that go along with this. It says, they went out from us that they might be manifest that they weren't of us. And uh, you know what? There are going to be people who reject you, and it's a token of the, where they stand with the Lord. And you need to uh, acknowledge that that's going to come. In verse 22, it says, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. This is really what it gets down to. People try and cloak their sin. They try and disguise their sin and respectability. Homosexuality isn't sin. It's just an alternate lifestyle. Let's celebrate diversity. You know, God made me this way. It's not my choice. I have no responsibility, no blame in this issue. It's the way I was created. All of those things are cloaks so that they won't appear naked, so that they won't appear uh, vulnerable. It's not my fault. And when you come along and say, God made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, people are going to get upset because you know what? You just took away their covering for their sin. And that's what he's saying. He says, now they have no cloak for their sin. And that's really what's behind persecution is these people had adjusted. They had, you know, covered over their sin. You just dug it up and exposed it to the light and showed that it's not right. Boy, people are going to criticize you over that. In verse 23, it says, He that hateth me hateth my father also. That's a strong statement. But you know what? If you are accurately representing the Lord, and again, there is some uh, room for evaluation here. Make sure that it's not you offending people. But if you are accurately representing the Lord, if your heart is right, and if people just hate you, then you know what? The problem really isn't with you. The problem is between them and God. And they're venting their anger and their frustration at God, at you, is what it amounts to. So don't take it personally. If, you, if they hate Jesus, is what he's saying, they've hated my Father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And uh, so anyway, persecution is an inevitable part of the Christian life if you're living godly. If you aren't living godly, you might be able to avoid persecution. But if you are a godly person, you are going to be persecuted. And understanding that that persecution really isn't personal. They will try and make it personal. In their mind, they may think that it's you that's the problem. 
They'll say, it's people like you that make all of these problems. Like I heard a guy at this uh, Virginia Tech shooting that they just had yesterday, and they called in on KOA. I was driving home and listened to this, and, and they said, it's because of President Bush is responsible for the shootings at Virginia Tech. And the guy said, said, how do you link this with President Bush? It's because he's got a war and every day we hear about people being killed. And so it is desensitized people and it is President Bush's fault that all of this happened. You know what? Now, you could sit there and argue with that guy. But really, the issue is that guy hates Bush. And he hated Bush before the shootings. And he is, the issue isn't. The war and stuff like that. The issue is this guy's... There's a lot of other things. And so what do you do? Do you sit over here and start debating? Now, did Bush really cause this? That's not the issue. The issue, you need to pull back a few layers and go back. This guy's got issues over here. You know, if you come up and if you're talking about your testimony and how you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's changed your life, it's made you fall in love with God. And if somebody comes up and says, you're of the devil, they're speaking in tongues as of the devil. It's people like you who cause all the problems. You can sit there and start trying to defend the baptism of the Holy Spirit or whatever, but I can guarantee you somewhere in that person's past, they've had a a run-in with somebody who was Pentecostal, probably they condemned them and something happened. And they're, they're venting on something that happened 20 years ago or they were raised. And if you just sit here and try and solve the problem over here, you aren't going to the root of the problem. It's never going to fix it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. You know, what I, I do is uh, I often operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just sit there and let them rant and rave. And they'll hang themselves. They'll be hung by their own tongue. And you just let them talk. And within a short period of time, I've said things to people like before like, so who was it in religion that really hurt you? What has religion done to you? What made you so ticked off at God? And instead of making it personal about me, I'll just talk about what has hurt you. And men, often they'll open up, well, you know, so-and-so died. And they said that it was my fault that this person died. And now you're to the root of the problem. And you could talk to them if they'll let you. They won't always let you. You can't always make things work. But uh, anyway, persecution is very seldom what they're persecuting you about. I mean, it's, it's just... Uh, manifestation. It's like I said, you throw a rock into a pack of dogs and one that yelps the loudest got hit. And you don't know exactly why they were vulnerable, why this offended them. But somewhere they've responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they've rejected it. Or maybe religion has condemned them and not brought true conviction. And because of it, they just immediately associate you with religion. And uh, so they're going to stand against you and you have to deal with that. You know, Ted Turner is a guy who influences a lot of people in America. And he's open atheist and says that he's against Christianity and stuff. And if you trace it back, you know what happened? His sister died when she was, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years old or something like that. And he was brought up in a church and they prayed and tried to believe for his sister to be healed. And when she died, the leaders of the church came and said it was God's will that she died. It was God that took her and God killed her because y'all hadn't gone, gone to church and you hadn't done this and done these things. And Ted Turner says if that's Christianity, then there can't be a God. And he's rejected God and become an atheist and tries to lead millions of people in an opposite direction because of what religion did to him. 
And so you could say nearly anything to do with morality, Christianity, and I guarantee you, if Ted Turner was in the audience right now, he'd be mad. But it's not really because of what I said. It's because of his hurt, stuff like this. So you just need to recognize this. That persecution, don't take it personally. I had a woman in uh, England email me after our meetings over there, and she was a good friend of mine, and she's been taking my teachings, and, and she's had some good response. But now the people think she's too weird, and they were criticizing her, and she says, I'm losing all of my friends. What am I going to do? And she was wanting me to give her some profound words, and I just wrote her back, and I said, Deidre, I said, I've had this happen to me hundreds of times. You'll get over it. You'll survive. God will bring you better friends. Don't worry about it. I said, it's not a big deal. Don't take it personally. And she wrote me back, and she says, boy, that was the wisdom of God. She says, I was taking it personally as if I'd done something wrong. So anyway, you need to not let persecution derail you in a crisis situation. Let's take a break, and we'll come back.